0: you're listening to the Outdoor Photography Podcast, episode 39. I've got a special episode to share with you today where I'm the one being interviewed for a change. So if you want to hear more about my backstory and some tips on landscape photography, stay tuned. Hi, I'm Brenda Petrella, the creator of Outdoor Photography School. Join me as I sit down with top landscape and nature photographers and outdoor industry experts to chat about creativity, composition, photography tips and techniques, essential gear, safety in the outdoors, respect for nature, and so much more. Tune in every week to learn how to create compelling and impactful images while exploring and enjoying the natural world. Welcome to the Outdoor Photography Podcast. Hey everyone, Brenda Petrella here, here to help you create better images and reconnect with nature. Before we get into today's special episode, I just want to remind you that you can still participate in the short Outdoor Photography School survey if you haven't yet. I'm curious to know what it is that you want to work on in your photography in 2022 and how OPS can best support you in that process. So if you want to share your input, please complete the short survey before the end of the year. And you can find the link in today's episode description or at OutdoorPhotographyPodcast.com. And a huge thank you to all of you who have already sent in your responses. They have been super helpful in guiding my plans for the new year. All right, to close out 2021, I'm super excited to share with you today's guest episode from the So You Want to Be a Photographer podcast which is hosted by one of Australia's most widely known and respected celebrity photographers, Gina Militia. Many years ago, when I was first getting into consuming podcasts as a way of educating myself in the study of photography, Gina's podcast was one that really helped me to better understand exposure and lighting. And although her focus is mainly in portrait photography, I found the information to be applicable to my own growth as a landscape photographer. So it was a real honor when Gina reached out to me earlier this year to interview me on her podcast, and she was kind enough to allow me to share my interview with you all. So if you wanted to have a little more background into my journey as a photographer, I hope you enjoy it. I also highly recommend that you check out her other episodes from the So You Want to Be a Photographer podcast, which is packed with inspirational interviews and practical advice spanning all photography genres. And so without further ado, please enjoy my interview with Gina Militia.
1: Brenda Pratella, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm great, Gina. It's great to be here. Thank you. It's, uh, I'm really excited to chat to you. Before we start, one thing I always ask my guests, where in the world are you?
0: I am in Vermont in the United States, northeastern part of the United States. So beautiful part of
1: the world. So you sound surrounded by like amazing forests and mountains, right?
0: Yes, exactly. In fact, the state is now about 70 to 75% forested.
1: Oh my God, that's amazing. And so how often are you getting out there? It's just like, so just paint a picture. Like, are you on some land there? Are you overlooking, because I'm overlooking the... um, Australian bush at the moment and it's magnificent. So what like what are you seeing out your window? Well, currently it's night, so I don't see much,
0: but it's <laughs> <Stop. laughs> um, yeah, we have a little little farm. Actually, we have about 35 acres in Vermont. Um, we've got two rescue cows. And so we have a, oh, a couple God. of fields for them to graze in and uh, it's very hilly. And so up on the top of the hill on, on one side of our property, we have actually a sugar bush. So it's a whole bunch of old maples. And so... Wow. We make maple syrup every spring. Oh, my God. Um, And so we sort of live off the land in that way, if you you like. Uh, And we've got nice views of the hills and valleys. And Vermont, you know, sort of lends itself to these smaller scenes, these smaller landscapes, because it is so hilly. I mean, there are the green mountains that go down the, the central spine of the state. And that's where the tallest mountains of the state are But you don't really get these long range views that you would say out in the American West or the Pacific Northwest. Even you don't see, you know, the mountains off in the distance so much as a lot of rolling hills.
1: Right. It sounds amazing. And the other thing, oh, my God, I love cows. So what's it like? <laughs> you do. Have, yeah, they're amazing. It's like I've they stayed are. on properties and you know what I love? There's a saying in Australia, I don't know if it applies over there as well, but um, you're waiting till the cows come home because they come yes. home every night at the same time. So that, to me, gives me so much joy. So whenever I've stayed and it's like, oh, the cows are back, the cows are back. Yeah. I just think they're so cool and I've been uh, for the last year – Working for a, um, a, a, a farm magazine. So I've been visiting a lot of cows and photographing oh, nice. them. So I'm rather, rather attached. So that's so well, great. What are your two like?
0: Well, um, so these are rescue cows. I'll, I'll tell a brief story. But so about four years ago, we found this um, starving, lost cow in our woods. And we never found her owners. And so And she was starving, and she had porcupine quills in her nose and was Mm -hmm. just really in poor shape and uh, terrified of people. And I had actually just resigned from my job at that point, and so I had some time on my hands. And so every day, I would hike up into the woods and bring her food. Um, This was in March, so we still had snow on the ground, and there was nothing for her to eat. And long story short, after about a month, month and a half of doing this, I slowly won over her trust to the point where she would follow me. And, uh, I realized, Oh, I, maybe I can actually get her out of here. Cause there was no way we could get corral her or anything. We tried all kinds of rescue efforts that failed. And, um, in the in the process of trying to find her owners, we were I was taking a whole bunch of pictures of her and, and sharing them with other farmers in the area nobody knew where she came from. But one farmer said, Well, you know, I don't know whose cow she is, but she's gonna have that calf soon. Oh, and we we're no. like, What? <laughs> so it turns out she was pregnant wow. too. And that's how we ended up with two. So her name is Miss Bovine, and she's a Holstein, and she had a calf that I actually had to help deliver, which oh my you god, know, was not part of my expertise. No. At all. <laughs> and his name is Ferdinand, and he's about twenty five hundred pounds now, and I'm just massive. He's huge, um, and so yeah, that's how we ended up with two. And she and I just have always had this strong bond, and I, I couldn't uh, part with her. So, <laughs> oh. <laughs> so we have. The really uh, impractical thing of pet cows, <laughs> brilliant, I love it. Um, yeah, now, your story is
1: so interesting, and it's uh like I think uh, happens to a lot of people. Not everyone takes the plunge, so so recently, is it how, how many years ago did you leave your job as a uh, cancer researcher?
0: Well, so I I was first a cancer researcher for a while and then after that I was uh, what's called a biosafety officer for an academic institution here where I oversaw research. So I went from doing the research to overseeing research safety and compliance and that was the position that I had most recently resigned from and that was in uh, December of 2016. So right at the end of the year in 2016.
1: So what what does the lead up to making a decision like that Look like so, you know. Obviously, it's a. Uh, it'd be a, a comfortable job. It's probably mm. pressure. There's a steam that comes with it. Are you kind of uh, attached to that to that role? It's like you know, you go to a dinner party and people say, "What do you do? Uh, are you what you do? How does that whole? What's the lead up look like? Is it is it um is it difficult or was it just a quick? I, I can't do this anymore. I need to I need a change.
0: It was not quick. It was a multiple year decision. And... You know, my real goal was to be a cancer researcher. You know, I had done extensive education, I spent the majority of my life getting myself educated to go that path. Um, it was hard. I left the the cancer research position because of funding uh-huh. uh, shortages, and so you know, my grant, my my lab was all grant funded, and that was running out. And so then I thought, well, I'll use my background as a scientist to do this more administrative role, and I thought that would be a perfect fit for uh, a scientific climate where funding was really tight here in the U.S. nationally and still using my background and experience as a scientist to help other people comply with all of the ridiculous regulations that, you know, scientists have to comply with to conduct research safely. And um, and so it, on paper, it was a good fit. In practice, it was not in that um, I was working about 60 to 80 hours a week. wow! And there was just no end in sight. And so after three years, I was completely burnt out. And I was like, I can't do this for the rest of my life. I I was actually at the institution that I had done my graduate work at here in the Vermont, New Hampshire area. It's called Dartmouth College. And uh, I never left the area because I absolutely fell in love with the rural landscape and the small communities and, and all of that. And, and I'm like, why am I living here? If all I'm doing is working around the clock, you yeah. know, I, I never get to step outside and, and actually enjoy the whole point of me making the decision to stay here. Yep. Um, so through a lot of soul searching <laughs> and and getting to the point of just uh, somewhat desperation, really, that mentally my, my mental health was suffering and my physical health was too because I didn't have time to exercise or anything. And I realized that I needed to make some sort of big change, even if that meant saying goodbye to a uh, scientific career that I had worked so hard to get.
1: And so, what was that feeling like
0: when you did it? You pulled the
1: pulled the trigger and said, "Okay, that's it. I'm out," and now I have an opportunity to uh, shape my life in the way that I want it to be. How how did that feel?
0: It was terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> um, I didn't have a plan. Mm. Um, I had saved up so that that you know decision was easier to make. I had a little bit of time yep. to decide. I also have a, a supportive spouse who can, you know, support me financially right. through this. Uh, so that I'm very fortunate in that regard. And at the time I had just gotten my first DSLR about a year prior to yep. that. And, you know, photography had been a lifelong interest of mine, but not one that I really allowed myself to pursue because I was like, nope, this is my path. I don't have time for that. But it, anytime I went for a hike or spent time outside, I'd be like, oh, I wish I had a camera. I wish I had a <sighs> camera. And, um, so I felt like I was sort of composing things in my mind, even if I wasn't creating the images. And so when I finally got the camera, sort of this whole world opened up to me and that was the year prior to my resignation. And I was also at the time interested in laboratory sustainability. So Mm -hmm. bringing sort of green practices into the laboratory. And so when I resigned, I was like, okay, I'm going to pursue both of these, you know, lab sustainability and photography, and I'm just going to kind of see what happens. And interestingly, I don't know, fate or whatever you want to call it, like the doors for photography kept opening and the doors with lab sustainability kept closing. And that's how I sort of navigated towards photography. And what also helped was, you know, I said I just resigned in December of 2016. In January of 2017, I went to the Yukon, the Canadian Yukon, and spent about two weeks there. And... That was my first real uh, photography trip and right. it just blew my mind away. And I was like, there is nothing I want to do more than this. <laughs> um, so that, that was a great start to, to really solidifying that passion in my mind. And
1: everything changed and then you started to uh, teach yourself landscape photography. Now, mm-hmm. on the podcast, I specialize in portrait photography. However, I think that all photographers, I think everyone in the world, in fact, should embrace the mindfulness that landscape photography brings you. So I w- I love landscape photography for no other reason than just because it makes me happy and it mm-hmm. makes me uh, mindful. So I'm constantly um, looking at clouds. I'm looking at light. I'm looking at... Birds. I'm looking at landscapes and I'm looking at the right time of day. And just that to be able to do uh, a trip or an afternoon or a couple of hours and get those uh, images is pure joy. And also, I think, for portrait photographers to have the ability to recognize great uh, landscapes, then you can combine those with the portraits. So I think it's um it's a it's a it's a ap- absolutely beautiful uh, skill to have for um, mental health and mm-hmm. also to elevate your photography. So I'm actually a, a big fan of landscape photography. So let's um the other thing render that I love yeah. that you do is the manifesto. Um, should I read it out or do you happen to have it handy? I'd love to hear it in your voice. Um, sure. If you can pull it up quickly.
0: I will, uh, yeah. yeah.
1: Sorry to put you on the spot. Uh, no, this
0: that's brilliant. Okay. Well, thank you. Thank you. And if people want to see it, it's at outdoorphotographyschool.com forward slash manifesto. And all those links will be in the show notes. Great. So I came up with this because um, Outdoor Photography School, this is the platform that I'm building that is uh, teaching landscape and nature photography. Yep. And one of my main goals in creating it isn't, isn't just to teach the photography aspects of landscape and nature photography, but also the outdoor aspects, mm. um, which is something that I feel is missed often on... Uh, photography websites, you know, learned photography websites, they don't talk about what are the skills you need to be in the outdoors and how to be safe in the outdoors and how to respect the outdoors. Mm. And a trend that I've been seeing, uh, especially through platforms like Instagram, is that outdoor photography actually has had a a fairly negative impact on the Mm. environment. And so I feel like there is a way to do it. Better and a way to do it more responsibly. And one of my goals with outdoor photography school is to help people connect with nature more through their photography, and and that kind of gets at what you were saying before with using nature as a way of healing, as a way of tapping into your creativity more, and you know, getting into a better uh, mindset. Hmm. And I think doing that comes from being able to connect with nature. So all of that to say that I I wanted to put forth a statement that basically talks about these core values of it's not about the photography. It's really about the nature and the connecting with nature. And and we're just doing that through photography. And so the manifesto, what I hope people who are part of the outdoor photography school community are willing to commit to. And so I'll just read the the manifesto. All right. So at OPS, we commit to put nature first, even if it means missing the shot, respect all species and ecosystems, be kind to others, lead by example, remember that we are part of nature, not separate from it, know before we go, leave no trace, pack it in, pack it out, know our limits, plan for the unexpected, advocate for untouched landscapes, dark night skies and keeping wildlife wild. Produce images with integrity and authenticity. Explore the outdoors rather than sit in front of a screen and protect what's left like our lives depend on it.
1: I love that. That's uh, brilliant. Thank you, Brenda, for putting that out. That is beautiful. And there is still an image that um, I didn't take uh, and I can remember it. This th- th- There are many and they're burned into my psyche. And it was a sunrise in Guatemala. I just watched it. Mm. And there's many of those moments where I've decided I don't need the camera here. And it's not always about the camera. And I, I see it on Instagram and it really, it does, it upsets me. It breaks my heart that it's like you see people just chasing this shot that everyone else has got. It's like this this shot list that we go to this uh, lavender field or we go to this uh, particular spot but we're ruining the locations and there's thousands of photographers travelling there for what? It's like right. these these postcard shots that everyone else has done. So, you know, I think we do have a responsibility to uh, respect nature a bit more and I've heard so much this year about uh, night the pollution in the, uh, the night sky. And, uh, mm. that's something that we can also, uh, try and, um, I don't know, lobby for, just be aware of because it's, uh, it's, it's, it's changing so rapidly, isn't it? And, uh, we it just really need is. to be mindful. Yeah. yeah. So, um, all right. The, so you're on your journey. It's, 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 it's kind of like new and evolving. What, um, what are some of the things that you recognized as a like a, a new landscape photographer how do we um, go beyond the cliche in terms of compositions yes in terms of everything our whole approach because it's like yeah. the first thing we see when people start doing landscape photography is the sunset. <laughs> right so overrated (laughs) right
0: so yeah I mean I think they're I mean everybody has to start from where they are right so if they're if they're inspired to photograph a sunset because it's beautiful and moving then great go for it Um, or even if you're inspired by an image on Instagram and you want to try to replicate that there's not I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that but that doesn't get at your core vision, like what is it that is inspiring you to do, uh, photography. And so what I like to teach is how to tap into your own creativity and what it is that you're trying to say with your photography. And one way that I find that it helps for me to, to learn how to do this is to, you know, when I'm at a, at a location or if I'm on a hike, um, you know, most of, most of the photography I do is not planned, I much prefer to just go out on a hike or, you know, plan at least a route around Vermont, say. Um, but not having any idea what it is that I'm going to find interesting. Because- I
1: like that. That that's yeah. the approach that I like. It's not the approach of all landscape photographers, though, Brenda. Because like a lot of them will use all the apps, know where the sun's going to be. It's a shot that they've planned for two years, and it's absolutely right. precise. Um, yeah. But you are more about the um, the accidental shoot,
0: the discovery, right? It, I am, yeah. yeah. And people may may not know that if they've seen me on my YouTube channel, I, I created a whole series called Photo Pills Friday, yeah. Where uh, for about six months, I put out a weekly video on how to learn Photo Pills, which is one of those planning apps. Yeah. And um, but I also I almost never use it, <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but I think it's valuable to understand how to use it when you need it. Yep. Um, but I, it may give people the impression that I want to plan all my images, and I really don't. For me. I get more satisfaction out of discovering, as you were yep. saying, and in that exploration process. And so, really slowing down and just trying to pay attention. What are, what is my eye getting drawn to? If 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 all of a sudden I'm looking at something and I'm I'm being sort of pulled to it. What is it? Is it the light? Is it the the texture that that light is creating because of the angle of the light? Is it a a Play of different colors? Are there lines being formed out of contrast that wouldn't be there under different lighting conditions or weather conditions or whatever? And so I try to just be curious. I try to ask myself, what is it? What am I being drawn to? What do I see? And and really try to tune in. And, and, and what I find that does is there is no expectation of Finding something because mm-hmm. you're just you're looking, you're exploring, you're being open to whatever's there, and and that kind of keeps you in that present moment and not just on a mission to get the one shot, mm-hmm. you know. Now, say I am going to a particular location to photograph a waterfall or something like that. I'll I'll go do that composition or that image, and then I uh, sometimes play this little game with myself of okay. I'm not allowed to move for the next five or 10 minutes. All right, And I just have to like, what do I see? What else do I see? What else do I see? <laughs> it's like a very repetitious thing, but like all of a sudden, you know, at, at first it feels sort of like, oh, this is boring. Um, but then I'm like, oh, I'm hearing this sound. I didn't realize there was another tributary to this water source over beyond the trees over there. I wouldn't have noticed that if I hadn't sat there and listened, you know, um, Or I start to notice different types of vegetation and plant life that I would have just completely overlooked before. And now this could be some really interesting close-up or macro shots. Um, And so sometimes I'll go to a place thinking, yeah, I'm just going to go photograph this stream. We just had a great rainstorm. The water levels will be high and I'll end up spending, you know, four or five hours in this location, just poking around all of these little tiny potential compositions that could be there that may or may not even include the water. Yep. Um, and so, yeah, so I, I encourage people to, to really just try to slow down and, and learn to pay attention to these different types of things. You know, what is it that your eye is being drawn to and why, you know, If it's, uh, you know, maybe it's the atmosphere, maybe it's the color, maybe it's the texture, maybe all of a sudden you realize there's this network of leading lines that aren't that obvious, but that's why your eye is being drawn in, you know, and that can, can help you figure out what it is that you're photographing, what your subject is, and then how to sort of put all the pieces together to make it into a more cohesive composition
1: one of the things I talk about a lot on the podcast is I think the greatest moment in a photographer's life is when they see the light. Okay. And then the yes. next greatest moment is when they work out what to do with it. So, yeah, and it's a really, like we talk about it a lot, the light, the light, the light, but when you're new, All light looks the same. It just all looks the same and you can't sort of distinguish those little subtle differences. Have you got a technique or uh, any insight into actually helping people to discover the different qualities of light? Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, and I actually just did a podcast on it. Um, Excellent. (laughs) Yeah, I think it was uh, episode 18. Fantastic. Um, yeah. I'll, I'll double check for, yeah. on you, for you. Um, and so, you know, different things to think about are the direction of the light. Hmm. So that's one, one starting place that that's pretty easy is to so, just start to think okay. about where is the light coming from?
1: Why is that important? The direction of light? Because it's like, I see it all the time. The, the go-to is like backlit or front lit. Landscapes. How can you change when you change the direction of light? What happens?
0: Well, it changes the the quality of what you're looking at. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, um, front light when the when the light is coming from behind you and directly onto onto the subject, that tends to. Wash out shadow areas, Mm -hmm. or or depending on where, you know, if the light is coming from directly behind you or overhead, but still behind you, you know, that can change also sort of how contrasty the scene can be. It can change the quality of the colors. Sometimes the colors can be washed out if it's too harsh of the light. Whereas if it's backlit, now you've got your subject might be in the shadow. And so now you've got a high dynamic range scene. So you've got to figure out, well, what is the most important part of this image? Is it is it the light in the sky or is it the subject that's in the shadow or do I want to make the subject more of a silhouette and have it be a little moodier? Or even if, if we're not thinking about the grand landscape, but you're thinking about like a small subject, like a flower, mm-hmm. a backlit flower has a very different feel. You might get rim light. You might start to pick up all these little like hairs on the... Yeah petals or whatever and it, it, it gives it much more detail and, and delicacy to it versus front light which makes it look you know bright and happy
1: you yeah, know bright and happy um, that's it yeah and so it gives a yeah. personality as well it changes the the vibe across the shot yeah. and it and it yeah. and it it will highlight uh, different features. So, like you know, I'm I'm glad you pointed out the, the the tiny flower, but there's also the 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 large landscape. So when you've got it flat, it's a bit washed out, but when you've got the light grating across or backlit, it's a completely different vibe. Just on mm. that, um, there was a like a few years there where HDR, uh, and it's still done where uh, people are. Are capturing every single part of the scene so there's detail in the highlights detail through the shadows to me those images um lack there it's too much it's overwhelming what what's uh, like i prefer uh something a bit more authentic i don't mind a blown out part of the sky What? what's your take on that
0: yeah, I don't do that. Uh, my preference for my own uh, photography is not to do a lot of HDR. Yeah. Um, most of the time, I find that the dynamic range in the camera is sufficient mm. to capture both. And maybe I'm not photographing a whole lot of really high dynamic mm-hmm. uh, range scenes. I, I have taken multiple exposures and then tried to figure out, you know, blending them in Photoshop. and But I'm often not pleased with the image usually what i would do is take one one exposure and then say if i i find that i would like to do a little bit of blending then in lightroom i will make a virtual copy of that file overexpose one a little bit underexpose the other and then put those into lightroom and then blend them with masking and and whatnot that way and that feels like it's a little bit less harsh yep because otherwise, you know, what, what can happen sometimes with these high dynamic images is that they they get to look too flat and yeah, and, and artificial looking. Yeah. Um, and it's not really how our eyes no. see the scene. <laughs> so even though our eyes have much more dynamic range than our cameras do, and so it is misleading in that we can see the shadow detail and our cameras might not be able to, but you know, we only look at a tiny percentage of the scene at any given time. yeah. And so our eyes are constantly adjusting to the shadow areas, to the bright areas if we're looking at those different spots.
1: Yeah. And adjusting to the light as well and also the temperature of the light. So, you know, uh, constantly. So when you're uh, setting up a shot, have you like, because I know, all my portraits I can tell you the favorite focal length and I just go there intuitively Um, when you're shooting uh, after a while you get to a point where you do start to just um, set set the camera up frame it up it becomes intuitive is there a go-to that you find that you just keep going back to that is your 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 comfort focal length that is the like the height that you like to shoot at have you got a kind of a a default setting or are you trying to just be a bit more mindful and uh, th- th- there's room for, for movement there?
0: It depends on my sort of goals for the day mm-hmm. when I'm out. So I'll I'll start with what my, my go-to lenses are. Yeah. Um. So 70, Uh. sorry, the, the 24 to 70 yep. and the 70 to 200 right. almost never leave my bag. And here in Vermont, oh, there's a couple of reasons for that. One, like as I was saying earlier in Vermont, we don't really have the gigantic wide open, open landscape. So I don't really need to have anything wider than 24 uh-huh. millimeters, like maybe 20 would be good. But in that like 14 to 24 range, it's just too wide. Right. Um, so I only take that lens out if I'm going into a, a bigger landscape like the West or Canada or, or someplace like that. Yeah. So 24 to 70 is like my, my standard go-to. And I find that I really like 70. Yeah, right. <laughs> For whatever reason. Me um, too. I, I it, like it. Yeah, it's a good focal length. <laughs> it is. It's, it's surprising. Um, unless I'm trying to really get a lot of, uh, you know, like a near to far type of depth in the image yeah. where, you know, it's like a stream where I'm focusing on some rocks in the foreground, then I might be more at the 24. And, yep. and then my other favorite is 400. So with the oh, 70 to 200, I also have a, a 2X teleconverter that I okay, use. Okay,
1: so what happens there with the lens though? So what's what yeah. uh, what's the uh, wide open on that? your 70-200 to 200 standard? What is it,
0: 2.8 or? It's a 2.8 fixed. 2.8, right. Okay, oh, okay. So, so. So when I put the 2X converter on, it's like f5.6. Yeah, so you yeah. lose two stops.
1: But right, how's the right. sharpness? Are you happy with it? Not –
0: terribly, but I'm not usually, (laughs) not, not wide open. I'm not. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I'm usually around like F14, F16. Okay. So
1: again, you've got to do that compensation where you stop down to compensate for the fact that you've bolted another bit of glass onto your uh, lens. Exactly. At that 400, what is it that you're trying to achieve? What, what is it that you like about that, that uh, compression shooting 400? What does that do to the image?
0: It depends on the on the subject. So if it's you know something that I'm zooming in, say say I'm like shooting across a valley to Mm. uh, you know trees down in the mountain valley or something like that. I'm Mm. I'm I'm looking for sort of portrait images of nature, if you will. Interesting. So what I, I and it's you know one thing that I like to do when I'm going on some hikes is to to have a view not just of other mountains, but I like to look down into valleys like that because you can find sometimes interesting shapes of say like a birch tree, which has, you know, a bright white bark can really stand out Mm. in a forest. And so, you know, finding little things like that, or a little cluster of pine trees covered in snow has a very different look when you're shooting from above like that. So I'll look for that with the, the, the more telephoto lenses. Um, or even if I'm just in the woods, you know, still not out of view. I love it for just really, almost like macro. I don't. It's not a macro, but you know, sort of doing macro-like photography where mm-hmm. it's very close up of the edge of a mushroom or all right, right, mushrooms. Water, have water you? Water
1: have, yeah. I've been shooting mushrooms. Um, they've all finished now. What a joy! That in itself, yeah. as an act of mindfulness, was. Just a delight. And I did a little bit of light painting as well with the mushrooms. Oh, nice. And then, yeah. So um that's – yeah, are you guys coming up to mushroom season? Is it
0: – We're, we're or, in it, yeah. You're in it we, now. It actually, yeah, it actually got extended because usually it's the spring. Yeah. Um, But we had a weird spring and summer so far and that our summer has been – wetter than our spring, yeah. which is unusual. And so we had a um, a whole batch of mushrooms I've never even seen. Yeah, I, I did do a, a little hike the other day and I thought it was a real foggy morning and I thought, ooh, I'm going to get some like yeah. foggy woodland photos, you know, and I, I couldn't go more than like six inches on the trail without finding another mushroom and yeah. it was different, different than the last.
1: They're <laughs> so- gorgeous. And they do you know they all talk to each other? Like you can have a, a group of mushrooms across uh of the forest and they'll communicate with each other and go hey, hey guys over here and then they'll all mu- like they're bizarre they're just like they a, amazing a, another yeah. yeah and so when I find them in groups like that and I was really lucky enough to find you know the red and white ones um yeah that they just look like they're out of a fairy tale they just ended yeah. really quickly I was so disappointed because I found them started shooting them and now I've got to wait Again till uh, next year, but it's like this Amazing. is uh, this is the delight of going into the forest because you've got these. It's not just about the um, the large, you know, super wide angle shot. If you look around enough, you're going to find uh, these beautiful little, um, you know images of, uh, you know, things like mushrooms. And and I was shooting mine with a macro lens, which was uh, super lovely as well. So I highly recommend that. And a bit of, uh, have you done light
0: painting with mushrooms? I haven't. No, I haven't tried that.
1: So give that a go. Uh, Lots of fun. So you just uh, use your iPhone torch, a couple of exposures, one without, one with the light, blend them together and you've got these uh, glowing mushrooms. Wow, that sounds it's, great. It's super cool. Yeah. It's super fun. So yeah. So that's um yeah, I love that. I love the 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 variety and the way that you thinking. When you're um in the land and I've talked to a lot of uh landscape photographers that talk about spending some time trying to connect with the land first. Mm-hmm. So it sounds a bit woo-woo, but I think that's like paying it that respect. So you talk about that in your kind of manifesto that you don't mm-hmm. always need to take the shot. So uh, when you get there, you, you talk about that a lot. Are you sitting in that moment, like not just like picking up your camera and shooting straight away, just trying to connect
0: first? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I um, I, I talk uh, in another podcast I did, I talk about sort of uh, a four-step process that mm-hmm. I tend to do. It's not – I don't do this every time, but in general, when I'm going out and looking for, for uh, compositions – you know, this is sort of the the process that I do. And that is, one, to connect with the scene. And that gets back to what we were just talking about, about slowing down and mm-hmm. just asking yourself, what do I see? Yep. And then, you know, what am I being drawn to? Do I think there's a composition here or, or a subject that I, I want to try to figure out whether I can make a composition with it? And then the next step would be to start taking inventory. So, what sort of relationships are there between the subject and other things in the scene. So other things could be like inventory could be like, okay, I'm photographing this tree. What else do I see? Okay. There's a few rocks over here. Could they make a foreground element? Mm, I don't know. Um, Or, Oh, the, the trail has a nice turn to it. Maybe I can use that as a leading line or um, the way the, the light is hitting its side light. So it's creating some, contrast and some texture on the bark or, you know, different things like that. So just starting to take inventory of what sort of, what do I see in terms of colors, shapes, lines, um, other objects, and can these become supporting characters to the subject? Can I, can I use them as a way to help tell the story or as a way of, um, taking a viewer through the frame to the subject? Right. And so that leads me then to my third step, which is positioning. So, okay, once I've taken this inventory and I think these are the different elements that I want to include, where do I need to be? Where does the you know where, how high does the camera need to be, um, and what position should I put it in, and what focal length would be best to help frame so, that? So
1: on height, Brenda, what's um yeah. what? How do you determine whether to be low down or eye level,
0: or what's the factor that determines that? Usually, it's what's in the mid ground, you know, because the higher you go, the more. Mid ground, you'll end up with. Mm-hmm. So, if there's nothing a whole lot interesting there, then, you know, I might want to be lower.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, or it might also depend on how is the land? Is the land going dipping down and then up, or is it just rising or is it falling? You know, those types of considerations need to be taken into place too. Um, usually I end up low. Mm-hmm. So, um, below waist? Yeah. Yeah. I'm usually kneeling. Kneeling, right. And, and are you short. tripod? I'm tiny. So. Yeah.
1: Do you, do you shoot tripod? Yes. Yes.
0: Yeah, almost uh, always because typically, in terms of settings, typically of course, of course, it could always change. I want to be shooting at the the lowest ISO possible, so uh-huh. hopefully ISO hundred. Yeah. And then my focal length, you know, generally, if I'm trying to get a deep depth of field in the image, then I want to be around f14 to f18. Sometimes. Uh-huh. Um, depending on the focal length and then and then shutter speed is the last thing that I'll adjust. yep, and so long as motion isn't an issue, so mm-hmm. trees aren't blowing in yep. the wind or ferns aren't flapping around and that sort of thing, then a, a long shutter speed would would you know compensate for having a stop down aperture in the low ISO right. For instance, a challenge with uh photographing, waterfalls and streams which is one of my my favorite subjects to photograph is I like to do that creamy look so I'm using a longer shutter uh-huh. speed often I'm using a polarizing filter and then maybe also a, a neutral density filter right. to slow the shutter a, speed down. Have you got a
1: recommendation on the
0: ND filter? <laughs> I use uh breakthrough photography filters really like them uh and the nd filter that i tend to gravitate towards is a three stop or a six stop but yeah, i find right. that that the three three um, plenty isn't
1: it who uses six stop? i've yeah. got one but it's like they're difficult to use aren't they it's a lot
0: they are, I don't, they are. I don't need, they, yeah yeah i have a 10 stop and i almost never use it yeah
1: right <laughs> um, those but, um
0: yeah. sorry brenda the the the
1: motion images like when you're getting getting that silky water what's your generally go-to are you a fan of like because you can have very like you'd have a 30 second exposure and you just end up with this flat water right yeah have you got right. a, a preference like do you like to show a bit of movement or like i prefer seeing I like a bit of swirling like i want to see the action right. uh, have you got a preferred shutter speed there
0: it depends on the flow of the mm. water so I find that I have to take a few test shots to get the look that I want. But so do you, just bracket?
1: you just bracket there when you're shooting?
0: Nope. I'm just um, not not bracketing in the sense that I would combine those images mm. later, but but I'll take, you know, I'll do a half a second yep. up to two seconds mm. or so usually it's in that like one-sixth of a second up yep. to four seconds mm. is generally the, the range for the type of water that I'm typically photographing. Now, if I was in Iceland – you know, photographing those massive waterfalls that mm. are, you know, falling at a much higher rate. Um, you don't, you could get away with probably one of a second and still yep. get that creamy look. Mm. Or what I would, usually what I try to do is get the creamy silky look for more delicate waterfalls. The ones that aren't like super powerful because I'm trying to capture the emotion of it, feeling calm and peaceful and smooth and soothing Versus uh, say, a waterfall in Iceland that might be you know massive, it's really loud. there's a lot of power. Then I might be using like one one eight uh, hundredth of a second or one two thousandth of a second to really freeze the water in its motion. So you're yep. catching all the, of the texture in the water yes. and everything. and and that to me, will relay a different message than if it was creamy.
1: Yeah, it's two different ways of looking at it. It's quite powerful and, you know, you've got all that texture there compared to like uh, the, 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 the dreamy vibe as well. Um, yeah, yeah, I love that. And just as like for the listeners, if you've never done a waterfall and you want to get a sense of what that feels like and you want to practice before you go, just set your tripod up in front of your tap or your shower Right. Set your images up, get the shower running or the tap running, and then just play with the shutter speed. And you'll have a look at like when you, you know, crank it up, like fast shutter speed, you freeze the, uh, freeze the, uh, the droplets. And then the opposite when you've got a slower shutter speed. And so you get an idea of what that feels like before you actually head out in the field.
0: Yeah. And, and you know, the ND filters aren't even all that necessary for, no. for every camera setup because you can sometimes even go below your base ISO settings right. on a lot of DSLRs. And so you can, you know, get a, a longer shutter speed that way too.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So it's just a matter of experimenting and, and, uh, you know, uh, yeah, um, but they're handy to have, I think, if you're going to be are. loving, uh, so with your tripod, uh, mm-hmm. cause you've hiking a bit. Have you got a carbon one or are you just lugging a heavy one?
0: Mm -mm. No, (laughs) no, I, I, uh, I have lightened up my kit recently. Um, so I I shoot Nikon, um, only because that was the first camera I I had. And so I I just stuck with the system. I I like Uh it fine. And I went from a a D810 with um really heavy heavy lenses to the Z7 yep. mirrorless uh-huh. with the mirrorless lenses it's so much lighter yes. it's made such a huge difference and then I have a, a Gitzo carbon uh, travel tripod and it's pretty lightweight it's not super steady yeah. um but- do you
1: do anything to out, out in the field just to steady it is there a, like do you add some rocks or some weights yeah. or
0: Yeah, you can. So it has a hook on the bottom of the center column. And, and if I need to, like if I'm in water, Mm -hmm. um, I find that it's not sufficiently heavy to sort of hold, hold things in place. So I do have a heavier tripod for things like night sky photography, where you you really want to make sure that things are, uh, super steady, but for the most part, my little lightweight one is sufficient. And then, like you said, I can just either hang my camera bag from the center column, or sometimes I'll bring just an empty, like, cinch sack yeah. and then fill it with dirt or rocks or whatever. Yeah. And it that's does fine. the trick. So,
1: you know, it just saves yeah. you, like, so you can have the lighter tripod and uh, you just got to make sure you bring the extra stuff. And yeah, it works. It's a, it's a yeah. good way to do it. That all sounds amazing. And also, um, how do we uh, avoid the cliches? What's is there a better place to look at inspiration? What like what inspires you in terms of um, landscape photography?
0: Where I'm are looking you looking? At other- yeah, yeah. Um, primarily on Instagram mm-hmm. I, is how I've connected with other photographers. Um, I would say. That's probably the the, the most. So, so
1: tell me, Brenda, place, what yeah. stops you in your tracks when you see a landscape um, image? What is it that you say that's beautiful that moves me, or what is it? What do you notice?
0: Yeah, for me, it's usually the more intimate landscape, um, the one that is not easy to replicate. That somebody has noticed something in in the landscape or in nature that. Might be missed by mm. most people, so I really like the less obvious types of compositions or a way of how um, you know, colors are playing together. Mm. Um, you know, sometimes a little bit more of an abstract image I'll find really appealing, uh, just because it's different and and, yeah. and you know somebody obviously had to connect with nature to see that mm. and spend time there thinking about how to compose it and, and really be in immersed in it versus what does not inspire me is the, you know, photograph of Maureen Lake with the woman in the red dress. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> <Yeah>. It's like <laughs> staged images like yeah. that yeah. or um, this, just I don't find too appealing. Yeah. Um, and it's, and it's overdone. Mm. And so, or, you know, somebody's, bare feet sticking out their camping tent with a beautiful view uh, of the mountains, you know, and obviously that's my opinion. I I just don't find that to be inspiring. So
1: you do a reverse image search with those images, like you put one into Google and it'll find 50 million that are the same and they're all the same. Yeah. And it's like you kind of sense it when you see that. But, you like, you know, the the beautiful art of discovery, like you've said a couple of you've painted some really lovely pictures. Like I've got the, the image of the flower that's backlit now burned into my psyche. So I'm actually like I've got that now. I will probably go out and shoot that. And, you know, even when we talked about the little mushrooms or, you know, zooming in at 400, it's do- just think differently beyond that chocolate box shot because that chocolate box wide, everything is detailed is like, it's a lot, it's just, it's done. It's done so that like, you know, we can spend that time being mindful and it is such a lovely practice and it's all about just because. I think it's a, a beautiful thing to do. I think just as a in its own, as a as a hobby, um, doing landscape photography is beautiful. But also for all the portrait photographers, I think understanding the land and then you can combine that with portraits is a beautiful thing. So like that is amazing. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and I think, you know, to go along with the that idea of, of combining the two, mm. um, you know, I think doing things like taking portraits of flowers, for instance, yes or trees is great practice because you for for, you know, doing portraits of people in yes. the landscape because you still have to read the light, you still have to understand how that's happening. And then the other thing that can happen, which I'm sure is common with um, people who are learning portrait photography too is understanding what's behind your subject and how is that interfering or contributing to in a positive way to the portrait. So if you have a tree coming out of someone's head, Hmm. you know, that might not be so great. So learning to see, you know, even if you're using a shallow depth of field and you're getting at that bokeh background, what are the colors or what's the, what are the shadows doing? What's the contrast doing? And is that going to give sort of an unwanted um, effect in the image, even if you're focused on, on the subject. And so, and that can also get to backlighting, like backlighting or rim light can be a way of separating your subject from the background besides using a shallow depth of field. And so, um, you know, there are ways of, of practicing these concepts while being out in nature, even if you don't have models to work with, you can use rocks and you can use trees and flowers, you know, And no pressure. They're not going
1: to tell you that like the tree's never going to go, are you done? (laughs) Right. (laughs) So it's a great way to like, if you're new to photography, it's a great way to ease in, understand the light. And there's always like, the the payment is just like so amazing because you get the time in nature um, and you get to be mindful, disconnect from everything else. You come home just feeling amazing. I'm Just can't wait to get out there again and and, and start shooting. Brenda, this is amazing. Congratulations on all your success. Congratulations on the tree change. I think it's fantastic that you can do this and and grow this uh, beautiful um audience that you're growing with your uh you know landscape photography so where can people find you so you've got the it's the outdoor photo and all these links will be in the show notes so there's the outdoor photography podcast you've also got the youtube channel uh which is outdoor photography school you've got an instagram and then there's um uh, facebook so i'll put all those links in the show notes and um people can go and uh check out your work
0: yeah, and then as this outdoor photography dot com is where they can find sort that's like the hub, the mm. main hub. And then if they want to look at my images, that's just at BrendaPetrella.com.
1: Fantastic. So hopefully everyone will stop by and say hello. Uh, I thank That'd you very much. I just wish you much continued uh, success and joy enjoy it out there and uh, hopefully i'll get up there at some stage oh which that would be amazing would be it's on my bucket list so good yeah. good we'll
0: definitely give a holler oh we definitely meet the cows that,
1: oh no yeah for sure <laughs> and then i'm gonna just watch the cows coming home <laughs> right <laughs> thank you so much well, brenda th-
0: thank you Gene. i really appreciate the opportunity to talk with you All right. I hope you enjoyed my chat with Gina Militia. And again, be sure to check out her So You Want to Be a Photographer podcast for more great episodes. As this year comes to a close, I wanted to give you all a huge heartfelt thank you for tuning in, listening each week and supporting the podcast in various ways. I also want to thank each of our guests who have made the time to come on the show and share with you some really valuable insights into big topics like Creativity, composition, respect for nature, safety in the outdoors, and more. When I started the podcast back in April, I had no idea what sort of impact it would make, and I'm blown away and grateful for all of the positive feedback it's received. So thank you. I look forward to continuing to help you on your photography journey through the podcast and through Outdoor Photography School in the new year. You've got just a few more days to share your photography goals with me if you'd like to do so in our short survey. So head to outdoorphotographypodcast.com to complete it. And thank you for taking the time. And I'll be back here next week. And so until then, have a very happy new year. And don't forget to get outside, my friends, and find yourself a little nature. Take care.